So, if we'll please take our Bibles, and let's turn to Isaiah 55. By now, your Bible automatically opens to 53, but we get to move forward to Isaiah 55. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and a commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. As we contemplated Isaiah 53 and we saw the, the Messiah coming to be the one who the Lord would bruise, he would crush him, he would deliver him for the sake of our sins. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. But that haunting question, who's going to believe this report? To whom shall the arm of the Lord be revealed? And we have been thinking heavily these last few weeks of the will of God, the word of God, the spirit of God. This is the real operation going on on earth today. All that we do depends on that. Otherwise, we're just going through motions. 
And with all of our programs and, and technologies and, and all of our issues and all of the things we're trying to do and the methods that we develop and, and how we're trying to cope in this busy world, we have to be still and know that He is God. The still, small voice of God can permeate the, the noise and the din of this world. We need it as believers. Think how marvelous it is when an unbeliever hears that voice of God. But when he does, he or she, now we're posed with questions. We've got to question everything. We're going through life, doing this and doing that. In Isaiah chapter 55, we are compelled to question what we're doing. People have a need. People have a thirst. People have a hunger in their lives, and they want to satisfy that. And they're busy trying to get satisfied, content, be at peace in some way, and they don't find lasting contentment or peace. But those things that they're seeking are temporal. They're vain. They're useless. It's like putting a Band-Aid on your chest when you're having a heart attack. See, people are seeking wealth, possessions, status, popularity, pleasure, beauty, health, strength, a long life. Let's take a minute. I got a couple very good illustrating type verses here. They, they put pictures in our mind that, that we need. From the book of Proverbs, chapter 23, verses 4 and 5. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. I don't know about you, but I, every now and then you see a cartoon type caricature image of a man. Usually has a big cigar in his mouth and a derby. And he's running and trying to reach for this bag and has the cash symbol on it, but there's these wings. Just out of reach, always getting away. It's like the carrot on the string, but it, it looks more like us sometimes. The evasive, elusive things that we need. And, and when, when Paul says the love of money is the root or a root of all evils, um, its root idea has to do with me. Why do I love money? It's not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about being a coin collector. I'm talking about what money will do for me. And it's, it's really the eye of idolatry. And money symbolizes that quicker than many things. Where money's flowing around, people, people get into vain thoughts and vain pursuits. But now the book of Haggai, got to root around there in the Minor Prophets a little bit. Yes, Haggai, after Zephaniah and before Zechariah, is Haggai chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, 
but you are not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put into a bag with holes. Now, isn't that a graphic image? You're just pouring away, you know, stockpiling, and, and other things are just taking it right from you again. What did somebody say once? The, the Lord giveth and the government taketh away. But uh, That's a bad quote. It's not scriptural, but it's still a true thing. Something is always taking away. We'd love to keep stockpiling and stockpiling and stockpiling, and somehow it just gets away from us. Like, like we're told life is what happened to us while we were making other plans. But of all these things, and, and some of these things may be necessities, physical necessities, and some of them may be legitimate pleasures, but of all the things we should be concerned with, what matters most is that you seek the Lord and know Him personally. Now, we, we just read a moment ago, Isaiah 55, 6, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call ye upon Him while He is near. We'll say more about that later, but um, I'm also drawn to a passage in Jeremiah. Um, I, I can't call it a favorite passage because I have too many, but nonetheless, Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, God spoke to me many times at very important times in my life through this passage, and I have found it necessary to share often. Jeremiah chapter 9, starting with verse 23. Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. That I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Now, I can't go off on my little tangents that I love to here, but I'll just give you a hint. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, about the last four verses, you're going to see how the God has made Jesus unto us. And it basically, these things... He, you know, he's quoting from Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. And everything that, that the Father delights in, Jesus is that. Jesus is doing that. He's exercising these things in the earth through his Son. He delights in him. He is well pleased. And when Christ is in us, he's well pleased too. We are accepted in the beloved. These are the important things. Not where you stand in this world. Where do you stand with God? That's what lasts. Not what men think of you. What does God think of you? And what do you think of Him? Well, there's that story in John 6. We're not going to turn there. But Jesus had fed the multitudes. Then He crossed the sea. And He's in another place. And they come looking after Him. And uh, Jesus says, You didn't come seeking Me because I did the miracles, which is to imply um, not because I have shown you and demonstrated that I am the Son of God. No, you came because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Good old belly. 
Good old belly feeding time. And they were hoping for more of that. And many people even today would take Jesus and make him a social program just to feed people, just to clothe people. And there's nothing wrong. As a matter of fact, it's right. If someone is destitute and you want to tell them about Christ, if their stomach's growling so loud they can't hear you, you better feed them. And show love. Demonstrate it. Not just with words, but with action. 1 John 3 uh, is one of those clarifying points. But the fact is, to do that and not share the gospel is abusive. Sending people to hell with a full stomach and well-dressed? Nah. Nah. We have to understand the priorities here. And so the real priority is, who is Jesus? What, who is he? Not just, what did he do for me? But who is he? What does he mean to me? And so Jesus would uh, go on a little later there and say, I'm the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Not that bread you ate, but I am that bread of life. In John 6, verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. He that believes on me shall never thirst. Now, you and I both know full well that you can get thirsty and hungry physically as a Christian. He's talking about something else here. He's talking about the care of the soul. He's talking about eternal things, heavenly things. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, John says, Love not the world. Now maybe you get confused because John 3, 16 says, God, For God so loved the world. But we're not talking about the same thing. The world that God loved in John 3.16 is people. The world not to love in 1 John 2.15 and 16 is about an, an evil, dark kingdom. The way of the world. Satan, who is the God with a small g of this world. Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away. It is passing away. It's going down the tubes. You know, there's that moment when the house is on fire and you've gotten everybody out. And maybe you got a few valuable things out, a few important things, but, but it's the kind of fire where you have to say, we, we got to just let it go. The fire department gets there and says, we'll just control this fire so it doesn't spread, but it's too far gone. That's the world. What do you get out of this world before it's all burned up? People. God loves people more than anything. You get people out of this world. You get them out of worldliness. You get them out of the evil empire that I just described. And the world passes away. The world is passing away. The world's burning up. But he that does the will of God abides forever. And just so you don't misunderstand me, the will of God is to believe on his son. You'll find that back in John 6, somewhere around verse 29. So here's our outline for Isaiah 55. The first two verses, the call to priorities. Verses 3 through 5, the call to God's promises. Verses 6 through 7, 
the call to pursue God. Verses 8 through 11, the call to perspective. And I'm going to have to explain that, I know. Verse 12 and 13, the call to prosperity. So let me get going here. In those first two verses, let me read them again. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfies not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Now, as I just stated in the introduction, people can be over-occupied with physical necessities and pleasures. Or they can be preoccupied with evil things, vain things, fantasies. That which comes from God's Spirit, that which comes from God's Word, is of lasting substance. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. Now, We usually make it clear the prosperity gospel of today is a false thing. That God's going to make you wealthy, healthy, wise, just because you're a Christian. Everybody's going to not be sick. And, you know, they they almost talk like you're never going to die. Whoops, then you do. But prosperity, God has a prosperity gospel. We just need to know what needs to be prospered. And it evidently isn't coming from the, the... the councils and uh, the counselors and advisors of the world, ungodly counsel and their ways don't follow. And don't join them and sit down with them in mockery of the important things of life as they do. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I can prove that I am so smart. Oh, there I, I'm just testing you. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. See, sin is the real rub that's robbing us and makes us beggars before God. We are sinners. And it's an awful thing to be a sinner because sinners sin. They were born that way, yet they're responsible for what they're doing. And God is saying, I got something for you, something that is free, but you must take and eat it. Would you go with me to the book of Ecclesiastes? Chapter 1. A little bit before Isaiah. Chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes. Just going to read a few verses in the beginning. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? 
One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. The sun also arises and goes and the sun goes down and hasteth to the place where he arose. The wind goeth toward the south and turneth about unto the north. It whirleth about continually. The wind returneth again according to his circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that hath been, is it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Now, if you stop here, this, then you're just going to be depressed. But it talks about endless cycles. And we enter in, and we spin our cycles, and then we... We're out, and the world just keeps going. And things like the water cycle or the sun and its courses or the wind and its courses and the fact that we work and work and work, and then we die, and then we don't own anything anymore. Somebody else gets to own it. And, and, and uh, Solomon wanted to really elaborate on this, but embedded in here are nuggets of truth that will encourage and redirect. At the end, there's a final conclusion. But... <clears throat> I guess I just wanted to emphasize here the vanity of life compared to eternity. One of the key phrases is under the sun. All these things he's describing are under the sun. In other words, here on earth, this life. There's plenty of things that are not in vain, like your labors are not in vain in the Lord. But back to vanity. Well, maybe you remember, I've talked about it in the past. I I like to repeat myself. So vanity, it means bubbles. Bubbles, just, oh, they're pretty, and they're gone. Pop! Try to pick one up. Try to save it. Try to have a bubble collection. Small little stain of soap in your cabinet where you're storing your bubbles. And it's kind of interesting because when the Bible talks about the glory of the Lord, the word glory means heavy. Substance. It lasts. And the things of this life that are told, uh, are presented as so glorious, they're just bubbles. But God has substance for us. And this is an important priority statement there, important book. It doesn't have to be depressing, it may have to get you sort of sobered up to some hard facts but it has a beautiful conclusion if you'll look for it. Okay, Jesus said, don't lay up your treasures on earth. Things that we do accumulate in this earth, and it's okay to have things. I have things. You have things. But if that's your treasure, Jesus says, that's where your heart will be. And you can't put your heart in things that the moth and the rust can corrupt. You can't put your heart into things that thieves can break through and steal. Everything I own physically could be taken from me, but nobody can take my relationship with God. No man plucketh them out of my hand, Jesus says. No man plucks them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Boy, we've got just a great thing going here. So, We have things offered to us without price. And yet the text tells us to buy. 
You know, it, the things of God are free, yet they will cost you something. And I'm not talking about the money it takes to buy a Bible or a car so that you can work and go to church and all that. We're talking about you pay the price of your time, your attention, and devotion. That's the thing. That's what everybody wants. There was a period in my life when I was unemployed and these people were coming after me to get into their their marketing things. You know, and they start making little circles and you are here and then you get people to join you and then you make money from what they do and, 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 and some call it pyramids or whatever like that. But you know, they, they all had some things in common. It's, you got to be so devoted to this man. you got to wake up in the morning and uh, you got to play tapes, uh, motivational things, and you got to read your stuff, and you got to make so many calls, and you get up in the morning, jump into the window and say, I am the future. I can win. I can sell. I can do it. If it's meant to be, it's up to me, you know, and all that pumping up business. It's a bunch of bubbles. I've got to give that to God. One of, one of my friends that was trying to get me into one of these things, he says, I'm, I told him, I'm already in a program like that. Jesus came and he started uh, 12 circles. And that turned into many more. And, and, and it's been coming down the centuries. And, and all that devotion belongs to him. I can't give it to both. You know, I want to do my fair share of working and paying attention to what the boss wants. Or, or, or if I have a job and I'm self-employed, I've got to pay attention to the customers and to the other responsibilities. Yeah, you've got to do your work with diligence, but you don't give your soul to that. You give your soul to God. Hmm. So, in 1 Timothy, I'm not, I'm not going to read this, but 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 through 16 Um, Here's some of the things he says there to Timothy. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. And we're not talking about dollars and cents here. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now get used to this. There's another reference in the notes here where it talks about salvation or being saved. It's the idea of being delivered. It's not the salvation when I first believe on Christ and trust in what he did on the cross and I'm justified for my sins. This is a deliverance not from the penalty of my sins, but from the power of them, the influence of them, if you will, to be delivered from the false pleasure of them. I'll save myself and them that hear me because I've given myself wholly to the counsels of Scripture and of the godly. Okay. Then, in uh, Luke chapter 12, again, not turning there, but in Luke chapter 12, uh, Jesus was teaching some important principles and a man interrupted him and said, uh, uh, Jesus, tell my brother to share the inheritance. And Jesus flatly said, who made me a judge over you? Now, sometimes when Jesus is caring for you, he might look like he doesn't care for you. And that's because he's not going to be your slave to do what you want. And he has more important things about you he wants to take care of rather than lesser things. And so 
Jesus tells a story about a man, and he, he was so good at what he did. His farming was so productive. His barns couldn't hold the excess. Now, this is the place where a man might say, okay, I'm being blessed so much, I need to start sharing, giving, blessing others with this abundance. God gave it to me to give to others. No, he said, I'm going to tear these barns down. That costs money. And I'm going to build up greater ones, bigger ones. That costs money. And I'm going to have so much stuff, I can tell my soul, hey, soul, just sit down and have a good time. Get, a, get an easy chair, get a, a glass of iced tea, and you know, get your Nintendo game going or whatever. Now, this is a different translation than the one you'll read. And then God says to him, thou fool. This night, your soul will be required of you. Now, who's going to have all your good things? Okay, so some of the things that he um, gives us to glean from here is take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And another one, the life is more than food, and the body is more than than raiment or clothing. And as he describes the person in that story, he says, so is he that lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So we clearly need to see God's economy as we're looking at our lives. We have thirsts, we have hungers, we have needs. How are we meeting them? How are we satisfying them? Are we operating in the realms of the big picture, the big narrative? And so we're told to drink freely. And I have references. I can't preach on them all. It's torture. I, I, I must have five sermons in this. <laughs> but, but the water of life. Jesus is the source of living water. And he says, if you partake of my water, you get a well inside you. You got a steady source on the inside. Think about a city besieged, and the, and the well is on the outside of the walls, and the enemy comes, and guess what? <laughs> they cut off the water fountain. But when a city has wells on the inside, well, that's a whole big, big thing. You have a source from within. You bring your joy with you into life. You bring your peace. You bring your love because the source is on the inside. You're not depending on the world to give it to you. And therefore, the world can't take it from you either. Labor for the bread that satisfies. I think I told that story already. Got ahead of myself. But when Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd, besides giving his life for the sheep, he also says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Abundantly. And so... The message here is to make your soul fat. And I need to remind you, perhaps, that's a good thing. We hate that word fat. We have millions of commercials and millions of magazines and millions of things to fight the battle with fat. The battle of the bulge, some call it. And while I'm all for good, healthy practices and all that, uh, we want to not be fat when it comes to our bodies, but we do want to be fat when it comes to a soul. You know, in other parts of the world, if, if you have a lot of meat on you, you're considered a wealthy person. Whew. Envious. You know, look at that guy. He can, 
he has so much, and look how, how you know, thick he is. Boy, he's blessed. I'll get off that commentary. But take care of your soul. Feed your soul. Uh, Job made a, a good statement. Neither, in Job 23, 12, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. The words of God's lips or of his mouth feeds the soul. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8 uh, shows how God took care of them, getting them out of Egypt, taking them through the wilderness, bringing them into the land. And the message in Deuteronomy 8 and a few other places in Deuteronomy is when you get there and you get your homes and you get your farms and you get your animals and things start growing and things start getting really good, don't forget the Lord. He's the one, the only one, that has power to give you wealth. You know, uh, a Christian and a non-Christian were arguing one time, and the, the non-Christian said, I don't know, these people say they live by faith. When times get really hard, how are they going to live by faith? And the other man says, when times get tough, how will they live who do not have faith? And one guy says, uh, everything I got, I got by the sweat on my brow. And the other one says, where'd you get the sweat? You know, so we come back, first cause every time is God. And the things he gives are not to be compared to him. We're grateful for his gifts, but it's the gift of him that is the best. He is our true inheritance. Oh boy. This theme. Psalm 25, verses 1 through 5. I I know sometimes we sing part of this. And uh, for time's sake, I'm not going to sing right now. But Psalm 25, let's look at those first five verses. Psalm 25, verse 1. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. So, you want an exercise program? You got to practice lifting up your soul. You know, I, I, I have a very hard time these days with pull-ups, push-ups. Hey, if I can even get out of the chair, right? <laughs> but I need to lift up my soul to God. And, of course, theologians will get you in a traffic jam here, and they argue over what is a soul. I'm going to keep it simple right now. The soul is you inside of that body. The soul is the part you can't see, but it's the real you. That which lasts now and forever, somewhere. Lifting up my soul is me. I'm taking everything that's in me, my hopes, my dreams, my heart, desires, <coughs> my fears, my aspirations, my failures. I, I, I offer this all to you, Lord. You're the one to be my soul doctor. You're the one 
to teach me and guide me and lead me like the rest of that psalm says. But to lift up the soul is to offer it to him to get it fixed and tuned and and well-oiled and uh, made stronger. You know, we have a a sick car, we go to a mechanic. You know, we got a sick appliance, we bring somebody in to to fix it. Some of you are smarter than that, you do it yourself. But uh, we have different needs, and, and sometimes it's the physical body, and we go to a doctor or a chiropractor. But nobody can handle this soul. Some try. And, and, and the best you can get from man is the people who are in tune with the soul doctor, the chief physician, the great counselor. And he can use them to guide, counsel, and, and help you from the word of God. But the rest of the world, watch out. They have partial truths. They have uh, a bridge that's very wide that goes halfway across the chasm won't get you the rest of the way. So um, we are here to lift up our souls to God. Uh, in, in Ephesians three fourteen through 19, we're told some things to, to focus on. And it says there uh, in that last verse that we might be filled with the fullness of God. And when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, it's not a quantitative subject. You don't go to the gas station and get 10 gallons of Holy Spirit. The idea, and it's compared to when people drink alcohol, be not drunk with wine, where is an excess? Okay, there comes a point where a person has drunk alcohol and they are no longer in control of themselves. Their reflexes are shot, their thinking shot, they can't hardly walk. Well, be filled with the Spirit doesn't mean act like you're drunk. But what it means is he's in control. He's got you. Not how much of him you have, but how much of you does he have? And so these are the important soul things. Uh, you see in uh, 2 Peter 3.18, great last statement of Peter, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, if you go back and read the rest of Peter's letters, you're going to get great lessons on how to do that. He just wraps it up right there. And you might notice there in 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 through 11, uh, that is a great summary. Add to your faith virtue and knowledge and, and, and so forth. We're to be busy caring for our souls. You know, you can tell when I haven't mowed my lawn. You can tell when I haven't swept my floor or cleaned my bathroom or made my bed. But you can also tell when I haven't taken care of my soul. Maybe not at first. I can coast for a while, you know. I can, I can fake it and not make it. But if we don't care for our souls, eventually they get run down. They get troublesome. They have breakdowns. They get weak. That soul, I shouldn't speak of it as a thing that you have. It's really you are a soul, not just that you have a soul. You are a soul. Take care of it. Feed it. Things that are, can't be bought with money, but they will cost you everything in time, attention, and devotion. Okay, now, I want to preach Christ a little bit here, and he comes up in a surprise way. Verses 3 through 5, the call to God's promises and the sure mercies of David. Isaiah 55 and verse 3 through 5. 
Incline your ear and come unto me. Here and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. And then it goes on to say, Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and a commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. Okay, I would have never figured this out on my own. But in the, in, in, if you keep a finger in place here with Isaiah 55, we need to go up to Acts 13. The Holy Spirit is guiding the apostles in preaching. Acts chapter 13, verses 33 and 34. Okay, Paul's preaching, verse 33. God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, or in this way, I will give you the sure mercies of of David. The sure mercies of David is applied to Jesus rising from the dead. And because he rises from the dead, so do we. We start by being born again. The risen Christ lives in us and his resurrection power works through us. But one day we get new bodies too. Yeah, that's great. Now, now he keeps talking in verse 35, wherefore he saith also in another psalm, and that's Psalm 16, thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And he goes on to explain, David, who wrote that psalm, died and his body saw corruption. So what's he talking about? He's talking about his descendant, his Lord, his Messiah, will not go to a grave and rot. Oh, he'll go to a grave. And it was a borrowed tomb, and that's okay because he wasn't going to use it that long. <laughs> and so uh, here is a prophecy of the resurrection of Christ. And so when you go back there to Isaiah 55, and he's saying of the sure mercies of David, then he says, I have given him. We're talking about a person. And it's, it's not David. This is the Christ he's talking about. These sure mercies of David that Paul explains in Acts 13. That David explains in, in Psalm 16. Uh, and, you know, I'm going to take a minute and look at that one too. Psalm 16. I have to be careful how many more of these I dive into. But let's... Let's catch this. Psalm 16 and verses 8 through 11. Uh, David says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell or the grave. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Now, David died. 
His body saw corruption, but his soul was saved and delivered. And I believe he's in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ today. And that's because when Jesus came and took our sins upon him, he went to the grave, but his grace was greater than our sins. His righteousness was greater than, than our sins. And therefore God showed the approval of the offering of the Son of God and brought him back up from the dead. And he has a transformed body now. And and Jesus says, because I live, you shall live also. And Paul says, we're going to be transformed uh, and receive a body like his glorious body when he rose from the dead. That's in Philippians 3, I believe. And so... The call to God's promises. You're trying to prioritize. You're trying to be faithful to the Lord. You're trying to love the Lord. You're trying to nourish your soul. But you know what? This isn't just about better behavior, religious behavior, whatever. This is about working in a life that's based on eternal things, a life that has no end eventually. For us, we've got Christ in us right now, and that that, we already have eternal life. Just got to get a body to match up to it. The Old Testament saint, uh, he, he saw it differently, but he knew he was going to a place where he'd be safe and kept. And one day Jesus would lead captivity captive, and they now be with the Lord as we will be with the Lord when we die. So we're living on these promises. We are to never forget that Jesus Christ of the seed of David rose from the dead. We must never forget the resurrection power exists in this book. In this testimony of his son, that the resurrection power exists and resides in us, working on us, in us, through us. And so we're, we're living on those kinds of things. Now, when it says, I'm going to make him a commander of the people, there I am again back in, in Isaiah 55. It says, I'm going to make him a witness to the people, a leader and a commander to the people. And he's nation building Okay, he's got the nation Israel on his mind. And he came to his own, and his own received him not. But those who did receive him, to them he gave the power, the authority to be the the children of God, which were born not of of, of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But back to that statement that he came to his own and his own received him not. Let me go a little farther in John 1 over to verse 45. Philip finds Nathanael and says unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And it seems like Nathanael only heard one thing. And that was Nazareth. He, he didn't see, you know, did, and don't talk to me about what Moses said or the prophet said. I heard the word Nazareth. And so he says, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Okay, this is the wrong side of the tracks. Nazareth, some said, had nothing to do with biblical prophecy and they didn't know what they were talking about. Jesus had to go to Galilee. He had to come out of there. It's prophesied. But Philip didn't argue with him. He just says, come and see. And I submit to you that when people mock Christ, mock the Bible, mock the faith, don't argue with them. Just keep compelling them. Come and see. I'll show you. 
I'll show you. I'll show you what Jesus is like. And, and give them the scriptures, which happen to be the power of God unto salvation, and see what God's going to do with it. But come and see. What a theme for us. Come and see. Well, when they get to, to Jesus, Jesus saw Nathaniel, the, the naysayer. And uh, he said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. Aren't you glad Jesus talks like that? Because Nathaniel looked kind of guileish to me. And yet Jesus saw that man when he was going to be done, finished with him. And Nathaniel, again, got a chip on his shoulder. When did you, when did you know me? And Jesus said, Before Philip called you, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, that was a telling moment. Miles away, he'd been under a tree, and nobody else could see him. Philip found him. But when Jesus says, you were sitting under a tree a while ago, I knew you. In verse 49, Nathanael answers and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. And verse 50, basically Jesus is saying, you're right. I got more to show you than this, though. But that turning point, Jesus graciously received him. Philip says, come see for yourself. And he put up all his arguments. And all of a sudden, he's changed. Just like we talked about Paul last week. Paul's going to destroy Christians in Damascus. And all of a sudden, Lord Jesus, what would you have me to do? Just like that. And so Nathaniel became a follower of the Lord. And he called him rabbi. He called him son of God, and he called him the king of Israel. And that's what I was really getting at here, the king of Israel. But not just that. No, he came for Gentiles also, but he has a more subtle way of that. Um, He refers to the Gentiles once in a while, but the the Jews can't handle too much of this. And so that's going to be eased upon them. But uh, we have many clear passages here where Jesus says, Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them I also must gather. There'll be one shepherd and one sheepfold. And we have numerous teachings in in, uh, the New Testament about Gentiles and Jews together. Together, knowing the Lord. Brought together as one in Christ. There's no divisions now. And there's a curious phrase in Galatians uh, 6, 15, and 16 talking about peace be on the Israel of God. And, and that, that is a unique thing because we're not talking about future Israel, that Jesus is going to have a kingdom. No, we're talking about that in, in we have become a nation, Jews and Gentiles. We don't have a physical location to claim. We don't have a, a temple somewhere because all of us are temples. All of us are temples. And, and when we assemble together, that's called the house of God too. But it's all uh, spiritual, internal. We don't have the geographical going on right now. But what Peter says, and I do want to turn there, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. He says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar or purchased people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And he goes on to explain in verse 10, which in time past were not a people, 
but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So we have this, this sense now. We were just scattered all over the place, whether it be Jew or Gentile, and he has gathered us together. We're his unique spiritual Israel for the time being. And I'm not negating the future Israel that is Israel, Israel. He's coming for them too. The scriptures are clear on all of this. But what we need to see is that we have a testimony that's been given to us, a testimony that we must share. It's called fellowship in 1 John chapter 1. It's called fellowship. It's a partnership. It's when we share things in common. It's the same word for communion. When Christians gather, they can observe the Lord's table, the communion, because they share Christ in common. And regardless of they're a man or a woman, regardless of they're a Jew or a Gentile, regardless if they're a millionaire or a pauper, uh, dressed well, not dressed well, hopefully dressed, but um, we have this one thing in common. And we may disagree about other things that are less important, but we have Christ. Christ only, Christ alone, by grace alone, through the Word of God alone, the Spirit of God only has made us one in Him. And we're already starting to partake of the comforts of the sure mercies of David. The resurrected Christ rules and reigns today. In 1 John verse 1, Chapter 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon, with our, uh, looked upon and our hands have handled the word of life. For the, the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And I'm going to take the liberty to say here, John's an apostle. John's a writer of the New Testament. And us is, is talking about those who wrote the New Testament. We're, we're, we're having fellowship with them in a secondary way. I mean, I don't have real visitation from Paul or John or James or anything like that. But they, God's Spirit, they visit me through these words. And and and. Truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, even Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He is the propitiation. Okay? We're talking about He is the way of obtaining mercy. He is the one who satisfies God. For our sins, and not for ours only, as if we're just talking about the Jews. No, but for also for the sins of the whole world. And not just for the ones that were alive when Jesus died and rose again, but generation after generation, this is being passed on. This good news, this bright light, <coughs> people are becoming children of God, and they are partners with God, the Father. They are joint heirs of the kingdom with Christ. And the Holy Spirit's so close to us, it's like we can't, we can't put him out there. He's already so close inside to us. I, I was told once that a baby that's nursing uh, is so close to their mother, they don't even realize it's another person. And I sometimes think that the Holy Spirit is so close to us, so nurturing, that 
we almost, that's why in, in John's writings, you'll see father and son, father and son, but the Holy Spirit is, is mentioned. But he's a part of us. In order for us to go to hell, part of God would have to go to hell. And I even hesitate saying part of God. But we are sealed with his spirit till the day of redemption. And so we have this unity. We have this fellowship, this partnership. And when we have a sin problem, we stand before the Father and the Son of God stands beside us. And he's our advocate, our lawyer, our counselor, our attorney. And he pleads for us. And his blood satisfies the Father every time. Whew. Well, before I try to teach the whole book of 1 John, let me just go to the very end. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19 to 21. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And then he throws out a little warning. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Lest we turn Jesus into an idol, lest we turn ourselves to many religious, creative, idolatrous things, or other idolatrous things in this world that lure us and tempt us, things that may not even be a thing you can put your hand on, but just like the love of money or the love of what I see in the mirror. Don't let anything get between you and the Savior. He is the true God. He is eternal life. If you have the Son, you have life. If you have not the Son of God, you have not life. 1 John 5.12 makes it very clear. And so these are the questions that we may need to ask ourselves or somebody else that we're trying to reach, especially during this Christmas season. Based on Isaiah 55, have you sought the Lord in order to have the forgiveness of sins? Have you believed the truth of the gospel story? Have you received the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart and begun this wonderful fellowship with him? Do you enjoy the fellowship of the believers? Do you enjoy the benefits of God's Word? Some of those questions we might have to ask ourselves frequently. Get a tune-up. Get the, 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 the 100,000 mile exam. Or maybe 20,000. Or maybe tomorrow. <laughs> Contentment, satisfaction, love, joy, peace. A clear conscience before God. What's more valuable than that? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for so many great things. Uh, Isaiah's writings are just bubbling like a fountain, pouring out so many wonderful things that we need to ponder and consider and, and repent and believe and receive and get the benefits, Lord, that, that you've taught us to expect and desire. And you'll give them to us freely if only we will give you our heart. Please work in us, Father, to will and to do of good pleasure. Please work in us, Father, to not love the world, but to love you supremely. And most of all, thank you for Jesus and keep us ever adoring him. Adoring him and following him and depending on him every day. I ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.